turn to the book of Amos, and we will be in chapter number two tonight, the book of Amos. We've gotten the first few verses there in chapter number two, and we learned about this prophet Amos in Hebrew from uh, the little town south of uh, Jerusalem uh, in the southern kingdom called Tekoa. And that's why he's called the farmer from Tekoa. He was a sheep herder, minding his own business, just like you might be doing one day. And, and uh, the Lord called him. The Lord called him to preach. And he Lord called him to go not to the southern kingdom and preach, but up to the northern kingdom. And he had a tough message. It was a, a message very similar to the message that we looked at when we were in the book of Hosea. And that was that, hey, if you... if Judgment is coming. At least in Amos's case, there was some time to repent. Uh, in Hosea's case, the judgment of God had already been set, and so Israel was going to be judged. And I think, I mean, I don't think. I know that God knew they were going to be judged when Amos was preaching too, but they did have an opportunity to turn things around. And uh, they didn't turn things around, and later on they actually uh, are judged. And if you remember from last week, Amos started off uh, the book with a series of sermons, or uh, yeah, I could say a series of sermons pronouncing judgment upon the nations surrounding Israel. And he began by pronouncing judgment on Syria, and then he uh, moved up to the, the moved down to the, where the Philistines were in the in the west, and then he moved back up to the north to Lebanon to Tyre. Uh, then he went over to the east, the top part of the east, uh, eastern Jordan, uh, Edom, or the northern part of the eastern Jordan. And then he went to the, the middle part, and he pronounced judgment on Ammon, and then he pronounced ju judgment on Moab. So what he's done, he's basically encircled the na nation of Israel. So as we come to chapter uh, 2, verse 4, which is where we're going to pick up tonight, he's going to pronounce judgment on Judah. And so, uh, listen to what uh, he says. He's about to hit it home here. He says, thus, thus says the Lord. Again, these are, like I, I, I said last week, uh, these, this, most of what we read in the Minor Prophets is the Lord speaking to the people. And really, I think, in some, to some degree, he's speaking directly to us. So, we want to take heed to what he says. He says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. Now, you see this formula of three and four over and over and over again. Basically, three is the number of completion. In other words, the cup of wrath of the Lord was full. They had sinned so much that his cup was full, or his cup of wrath was full, and then they kept right on sinning. So for three transgressions and then for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Uh, he says, because they have despised the law of the Lord. Remember, they were under the old covenant. They were under law, and they broke the law. They were promised. Remember by Moses in Deuteronomy. If you keep the law, you'll be blessed. If you break the law, you'll be cursed. And God had been patient with them, and he'd been merciful, merciful with them, but they had been breaking the law. And, and probably the main law they were breaking was that first commandment about loving the Lord. And, and they didn't love the Lord of those first few commandments. And they had gone into idolatry, and then that affected uh, the entire nation. And, and so the soul of the nation was rotting. And so he says, he says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, 
I will not turn away his punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord and they have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. You know, that's really kind of the history of Israel, kind of the history of the human race, following lies, following after lies. Uh, If you remember in the book of Acts in chapter 7, when Stephen is about to be martyred, and he's martyred because he gives this very convicting sermon to the Jews. And basically what he says is that you, you Jews, and really us, because Stephen was one of them, we've always been a rebellious, stiff-necked people. We've, that's our history. And, uh, they, and, and they've always followed after the same lies that their follow, fathers followed after. Lies that caused them to not believe and obey God. Anytime anybody preaches anything but obedience to God in a relationship with God, they're lying. And if they say you can be blessed somehow outside those parameters, they're lying. I mean, you remember in, in the wilderness journey, early on in their journey, they were about to go on the promised land. And what did they do? They really didn't trust the Lord. And they were hearing word, hey, man, can we really trust the Lord? Can we really, do we really want to do this? And so what they did, they sent 12 spies into the land. And two of those spies came back telling the truth. Ten of those spies came back telling lies. Now, actually, very few lies, lots of truth. I mean, they said, hey, there's giants in the land. There's, yes, yeah, sure, there's grapes, and there's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, a, it's every bit of what God promised us it is. But here's what God didn't tell us about. There are giants in the land, and there's no way. We're like grasshoppers in the eyes of these giants, and there's no way that we can defeat them. Well, that was a lie, because if God had told them to go in the land and that he was going to protect them, then he was going to protect them no matter how many giants there were, no matter how big these giants were. But they listened to lies, and they believed the spies, these other Jews, instead of believing God. And that was always their history because they didn't want to listen to God. They heaped up for themselves prophets who tickled their ears, who lied to them. And so they listened to the lies. And in Amos's day, the lie was, hey, everything's fine. I mean, look at our economy. Look at, I mean, it's health, wealth. Look at, I mean, God, we're the apple of God's eye and God loves us no matter what we do. We don't have to obey God. You can do anything you want. We can worship any God we want. It's just as, you know, we're, we're Jehovah's people. He's one of our gods, and we can just worship him, and he's going to be fine with that. But they were lying, and these people were believing those lies, and so it had put them into grave danger. And so in verse 5, he says, I will send fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. So there's coming a day. Now, actually, when Amos was prophesying about this fire coming to Jerusalem, he, it was two or 300 years out before this was going to happen, but it was inevitable. And so God says, I will send fire upon Judah, and, it's, and, it, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Because even at this time, you know, 200 years before the Babylonian captivity, uh, their so- the, the soul of the nation was rotting, 
And, and if you were honest with yourself, you knew the soul of the nation was rotting. And that's what Amos says. We're, we're listening to lies. We're not listening to the Lord. And so judgment is coming. You know, that's what worries me about the United States of America. I mean, certainly we have economic prosperity to some degree. I mean, even with the last president we've, we've had and some of the thing, evil things that have been done, and that's my personal opinion. I'm not being political here. But, but uh, you know, give him credit. The stock market's double what it was when he came in. I mean, it had gone down to like 8,000 when Bush was in, and it's almost at 20,000 now. And so people are saying, hey, man, God's blessed us. We're, God's pleased with us. And some people are actually pre preaching that. God is not pleased with the United States of America. I don't think he's pleased with the church in the United States of America. And our nation is in danger of judgment. When that judgment is going to come, God hasn't told me. I'm not a prophet like Amos. But, but it's, if, if God is consistent, and he is, he's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Then you've got to believe at some point he's going to judge the United States of America. And I believe there's a warning to all of us on a personal level here. This idea that somehow because we're under grace that we have no responsibility to live a moral and loving life. In other words, when we, or let me put it this way, when we were looking in 1 John just this past Sunday, what did, what did John say? Hey, if you don't love other people, then, then you're in danger. You're in danger of, of of judgment because you're probably not saved. If we, if, we, if we live immoral lives, if we keep on sinning, if we listen to lies instead of truth, those are the three things that John gave us in 1 John that indicate whether or not we're, we're saved or we're lost. If we keep on sinning and we, we, we love to listen to lies and, and we don't love other people, then we're in danger of judgment. So, so uh, at some point, Judgment is coming. And uh, uh, it was about to come to Judah. That was a few hundred years out. Now, as I said last week, at this point, Amos is probably the most popular preacher in Israel. We know he's pretty popular because later on in the narrative, we're going to see that they wanted to kick him out and they were telling the people, don't listen to this guy. He's not a true prophet. He's a false prophet. But he is, he, he's... He, he's really popular at this point because what's he doing? He's condemning all of their enemies. Even Judah, to some degree, was an enemy of the northern kingdom. Uh, there was this, this rivalry between the, the two kingdoms, and they actually went to war with each other a few times, and so they had some bitterness towards each other. So, so when Amos is preaching about the judgment of all these nations that surround Israel, they were pretty happy about it. And, and, and it was, in some ways, tickling their own ears. But that wasn't Amos' intention, was it? His intention was to encircle them and then shoot the arrow in the bullseye. And that's what he's about to do as we come to verse number 6. In verse number 6, he says, Thus says the Lord, here it is, For three transgressions of Israel, the northern kingdom, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. No, where he's going to hit them where they, where they think they're the strongest at, and that's their prosperity and their economy. And they think that God is pleased with them because God is prospering them. 
where in reality God is angry at them because they're prospering at the expense of the righteous and at the expense of the poor. It says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away his punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. In other words, these two metaphors speak of a corrupt justice system and a corrupt economy where the righteous don't have any chance and the poor don't have any chance. Kind of like you, you kind of see these swings in our government. It's, it's government that either takes care of the poor and leaves the middle class along, or we, we've got a government coming in now that's talking about taking care of the rich and leaving the middle class where we're at. So somehow it seems the, the hardworking righteous people, and I don't I use that very loosely, but the hardworking people, the middle class of America somehow suffers in, in, in a corrupt justice system and a corrupt economy. Uh, verse number seven, they, the rich, pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. What's he saying right there? What's he saying right there? He's saying hey, they want every drop of blood they can get. After they've taken everything from the poor, they even want the dust that's left on the top of their head. They want everything they've got. And they pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go into the, to the same girl to defile, to defile my holy name. All of these things defile the holy name of God. In other words, they, 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 they become so sexually perverted that the father and the son have sex with the same woman. That's how perverted they had become. Would that happen, could that possibly happen in America? It's already happening. Talk about perversions. We've got some perversions in this country. I mean, they're everywhere. And he says they defile, God says they defile my holy name. How did they defile the holy name of God? Because they were God's people. God had, God had taken them and made a nation out of them so that he could witness to the other nations. And instead of being a witness to the other nations, they just assimilated with the other nations and became just as pagan as the other nations. And so in doing so, they defiled the holy name of God. And look how they break the law of God. It says they, you know, how perverted and, and, and greedy they had become. It says they lied down on every altar, by every altar on the clothes taken in a pledge. Does that ring a bell at all? Remember in the law when we were in Deuteronomy? Years ago, remember one of the things, it was kind of a strange law, but it said that, you, that if you take clothes uh, in, a, in a pledge for a loan, that you had to give those clothes back by the evening. Why? Because the, if a person was so poor that he was having to, in order to make a loan and feed his family, he had to give up his clothes, then uh, uh, he was in bad shape. And if he didn't have any clothes come evening when it got cool, he was going to, he was going to be really cold, and he was going to suffer, and his family was going to suffer. So here they were, taking these clothes in a pledge, and there's this a lot of symbolism in that. But they were so greedy, they were taking these things from, in an unjust way from the poor, and then they were coming, wearing them to go to church. It's like, you know, making money off the poor and then coming to church and putting your money in the offering box. I mean, put it in there. I'll take it. We'll take it. But, but uh, I'm kidding, but that would be wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, money made in an unjust way, God doesn't want that money. 
And so it says, and, and, and in doing so, they were drinking the wine of their own condemnation. In the house of their God, they were coming to church. But they were actually, by wearing those clothes, drinking the wine of their own condemnation. God, was, God wasn't pleased with them because they were coming to church. He wasn't pleased with them and prospering them as they thought. He was angry with them because their God really was mammon, the God of mammon. They, they, he was their God, the God of money. Then in verse 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, uh, yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. You remember the Amorites? The giants, many of the giants were Amorites. And, and they were Philistines, but they were Amorites. But, but he refer, he's speaking of the people, the entire people. Their height was like the height of the cedars. They had giants in the land. And he was as strong as the oaks. And yet I destroyed the fruit above and his root beneath. What does that mean? It means he wiped them out. He wiped them out and wiped them out in such a way that they would never come back because their, their roots was, were destroyed. And what he's telling Israel here, if you don't repent, this is going to happen to you. He says, also, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. In other words, I made you into a nation, carried you through the wilderness, and then gave you their land and gave you their homes and their livestock and all sorts of things, and then you've ended up just as bad as they are. And so, uh, you know, you followed in their footsteps, and so you're about to be judged. Verse number 11, he says, I raised up some of your sons as prophets, my prophets, and some of your young men as Nazarites. What were the Nazarites for? Do you remember them? They didn't drink. They had beards. They didn't cut their hair. You cut your hair. They you didn't. You almost made it. They no. You only on one count. <laughs> anyway, they they <laughs> the uh, the Nazarites were set apart people. They were people that God had set apart in an outward display of separation unto Him. They were kind of a model. They were kind of the heroes of Israel. They were, they were the people who we were, they, the Israelites were to, to, to try to be like. It wasn't so much the, the hair and the drinking. It was this separation unto God. They were to be separated unto God, and, and they were kind of the heroes. But what did they do? They, 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 they just kind of blended in with everybody else. Uh, then there were the, the prophets. What what? The prophets, God gave them prophets to keep them in line, uh, to, to, to let them know God's plans for them, to, to, to prophets like Amos to tell them when they were going astray, when they might be judged. But in verse 12 it says, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. So they became just like you. And it wasn't so much the wine was bad. It was that this separation that I had uh, this, this separated people that I had created as a model for you were being, you know, uh, made unpure when they, were, when they were really supposed to be pure people separated in the Lord. And you commanded the prophets saying, do not prophesy. That's actually later on in, in this book, they're going to command Amos, do not prophesy. We don't want to hear your prophecies anymore. But the, Amos wasn't the only one. 
any of the prophets of God who spoke the truth, they were told, do not prophesy. We don't want want to listen to you. They wanted people to, to speak to them who tickled their ears. They didn't want to go through the book of Amos. They didn't want to go through the book of Hosea. They wanted people that tickled their ears. And listen to what the Lord says here. He says, behold, I am weighed down by you. You've weighed down my heart. That's really what the Lord is saying. As a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. When a a cart full of sheaves weighs down a a wagon, it couldn't move anymore. So they couldn't go forward anymore is what the Lord's saying. You've weighed down. And, And instead of being the blessing I intended you to be, you've become a great burden to me. That's what the Lord's saying. And so bad times are coming. Last few verses there of of, uh, chapter 2. He says in in verse 14, Therefore flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape. Nor shall he who rides the horse deliver himself. Verse 16, the most courageous man of might shall flee naked in that day. Here's what Amos has given them a picture of this coming judgment by the Assyrians. And when that judgment came, it came upon them so suddenly that the mighty men didn't even have time to put on their armor. They fled naked. The men on horses weren't swift enough because of this great army that moved in so fast. They weren't swift enough to get away. They had some great archers in Israel, but all of those archers fell because there there were so many soldiers that came down upon them. And so they were unable to withstand this mighty judgment from the Assyrians and and, uh, uh, really from the hands of the Lord. We'll see that later on. The Lord's going to say, hey, if a disaster comes to the city, am I not the one who, who brought it? And uh, this disaster that's going to come upon them, it comes from the Lord. Now, let's break off and go. We'll just get a couple of verses here in, in chapter number 3. He says, Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. Against the whole family. And when he's talking about the whole family, who is he talking about? The northern and the southern kingdoms. Which I brought up from the land of Egypt. I brought all of you up from the land of Egypt. I want you to listen to me. Verse number two. You only. And there's an application here for me and you. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Very special to me. Known in a relationship what he's talking about there. Therefore, whoa, I'm just going to let you do anything you want. You can defile my name. You can have sex with anybody you want to have sex with. You can, do, you can be as immoral as you want to be. Uh, you can uh, rip off the poor, rip off the righteous, and everything's going to be fine and I'm going to prosper you. Is that what he says? No, he says, therefore, I will punish you for all. What's all mean in the Hebrew? All. Your iniquities. You're going to pay for every single one of them. There's going to be no mercy. Because you of all people should have known better. You know, you don't 
these words aren't actually spoken in the Bible, but you see this principle over and over and over again. This principle that with great privilege comes what? Great responsibility. They had the greatest privilege of all. The privilege to know the Lord and to be known by the Lord in a relationship. They had that privilege. They were God's chosen people. Still are. They were the apple of God's eye. They still are. And he blessed them. He blessed them so much. Did they deserve it? No. They didn't deserve it. But why did he bless them? Because they were good people? No, he blessed them so they would try, would try to be good people. So they would try to keep the law because he first loved them. He wanted them to, to, to love him back. And, uh, uh, but in, at, when we, we're here in Amos chapter 3, or when we're in the book of Amos, when we're in that time period, uh, they've gone back to chasing after idols. I mean, they knew the only true and living God. He lived in their presence, in the tabernacle. He was there. In the temple, he was there. And, and they knew he was there. And yet they chased after other idols. And so God says, I will punish you for all your sins because you're more deserving of punishment than all the other nations around you because you were given the articles, oracles of God, Paul says in, in Romans. You were, the, the Israelites had a responsibility because they were given the oracles of God. They were given the word of God. They were given the law of God. You think maybe that has any application to the United States of America? When we were, every, every household at one time in this country had a Bible in it. Every school, the Bible was taught, and people just, you know, just rebelled against that. Rebelled against the world and, 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 and rebelled against the word and, and went into the world and, and chased after things that aren't the things of God. And they knew better. We know better. They knew better. And then God says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? What's the answer to that question? No. Unless you're married. Then you don't agree on everything. You got to do it, walk together sometimes. I'm just joking. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> Israel had reached the point where they could no longer walk with God. No longer. They weren't in agreement with God. If they were in agreement with his law, they would keep his law. If they were in agreement with his word, they would keep his word. If they were loved him, the, I don't want to say the way he loved them because there was no way they could love him the way he loved them, but if they just loved him back in agreement, in love, they could walk together, but they didn't. And so they were about to be judged. Some of you might have heard about the split that's going on in the Calvary Chapel denomination right now. So I don't know if you've heard about that or not. But you, I'm sure if you care about those things, you'll hear about it here shortly. Actually, we don't, we, we don't call ourselves a denomination, but we really are. Any 
group that's organized to some degree as a denomination. So if you don't like the name denomination, you can, you can kind of ignore it. But we truly are to some degree a denomination. But we actually have been split into two denominations, Calvary Chapel Association and Calvary Global Network. Calvary Chapel Association is made up of a group of, I say, well-known pastors that Chuck Smith appointed to run the Calvary Chapel organization after he died. Calvary, Calvary Global Network is now run by Brian Broderson, Chuck Smith's son-in-law, Brian Broderson, who is pastor of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Now, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa happens to own the radio, the, uh, the, uh, the, the conference center, uh, the college, all of that's on in the, actually the name Calvary Chapel is on trademark by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. So you got these two organizations now, and we're part of both of those organizations. If you go to Calvary Global Network, you'll find Calvary Chapel of Lafayette on it. You go to Calvary Chapel Association, you'll find uh, Calvary Chapel of Lafayette on that. The word that I heard, and you can read about it on the internet if you want to, was that Brian Broderson was taking Calvary Chapel in a way that the council disagreed with. And so, uh, Brian, they asked Brian Broderson, you know, to cut, hey, come on back in and do things the way. He was becoming more ecumenical. He was hanging out with some guys that they didn't particularly like. Some of them, I, I would say, are okay. Some of them, maybe he shouldn't have been hanging out, but he didn't want people to tell him who he could hang out with. And so he broke away from Calvary Chapel Association. He broke away, and he became Calvary Global Network. And in the email that he sent out to the pastors after the split, he used Amos 3.3 as his proof text. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, you want my opinion about all of that? I don't care if you want it or not. I'm going to give it to you. I think that's a classic case of taking a verse out of context in order to justify something that you're doing that is wrong. That is not what this verse was ever intended for. It was never intended to justify division among Christians. Never was it intended. And I've seen it used like that over and over and over again. But that's not the intention of it. What was the verse about? God was saying to Israel, I've known you above all the nations on this earth. I had a special relationship with you. I gave you my word. I gave you the law. 
I've lived in your midst. I gave you preachers and prophets and Nazarites to guide you. But you've turned and chased after other gods. And so if you can't walk in my truth, then you can't walk with me anymore. You just can't do it. And I think he would say that to any of us. If we're not walking in agreement with his word and obeying his word, then we can't walk with him. That's the only way you can walk with God is in the truth of his word. And all of these churches that get outside the truth of the word are in danger of being in a position where they're not truly walking with God. Now, you can say you're walking with God, but if you're not walking in his word, in the light of his word, then you're not walking with God. There's no way. There's no way you can walk with God outside of his word. So back to the Calvary Chapel thing. I don't, I don't think the thing to do is to split up and go your way. I mean, the thing every church needs to be doing is to be finding God's truth, God's will, and obeying that will. And then you're walking in agreement with God. I mean, hopefully, and this is where we got to make a decision at some point, hopefully Calvary Chapel Association and Calvary Global Network believe this word, everybody in there, and they want to obey it. And I, and I think to some degree, both everybody in both organizations do. And where there's disagreement, what do you do? You search out the truth. So you're in agreement with God. He gives us his truth. And so, so uh, and, and, and in my opinion, they should have searched out the truth for God's will for the movement. There shouldn't have been an argument over which direction to take this movement. Actually, if you just leave it alone, it works fine. I mean, the movement is, the Calvary Chapel movement has always been teaching the word, worshiping God and teaching the word. It's pretty simple, just like the book of Acts. And that's what made it successful under Chuck Smith. But my personal opinion, and again, that's just my opinion, there's a lot of egos involved here. And they've gotten in the way of hearing God's will. And they got, I got my will, and I got my will, and I got my will, and this is what I want to see us do with Calvary Chapel. This is who I want to hang out with. This is what I, you know, this is how we want to change it. And so we've got this split, which is not of God. And I don't know who's right at this point, but I'm going to tell you who we're going to align with. We're going to align with the group that follows God's will that follows God's word. And if both of them end up not doing that, then we'll be, we can't be chap chapel anymore, like I said, because he's leaving. We'll be Ron Chapel or something. We, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll change our name, but we'll keep doing just what we're doing. Because I think it is the will of God to break bread and pray and teach the word. That's what we're about. Now, I want to take this verse as we Uh, Just give me a few more minutes here and address the issue in our nation right now. This is really some applicable stuff to who we are as Christians living in the United States of America. 
Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And the answer to that is no, not in the things of God. You can't walk together with people that aren't in agreement with the things of God, that aren't willing, people who aren't willing to obey God. And for that reason, I believe this nation is hopelessly divided. We are, when people talk about unity, it, 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 it's only one way it's going to happen. From my standpoint, maybe from yours too, there's only one way it's going to happen, that we have revival and that everybody's saved and we walk according to the principles of God. But if you ask me to walk outside of those principles, I'm not going to walk outside those principles. And there's all this clamoring for unity today. And there's all sorts of clamoring for unity. I mean, uh, I saw where Franklin Graham was asked to speak at Trump's inauguration this week. And everybody is on the left is firing bombs at him. And I heard the leader of CARE, Council on American uh, Islamic Relations, I think is what it stands for, say that if Trump wants unity in this country, then he had better not let Franklin Graham speak at his inauguration. You know what I say to that? Tough, dude. Tough. Because I don't want to walk with you. I'm not going to walk with you. And Franklin Graham is exactly right when he calls Islam an evil religion. That is exactly what it is. So we're called extremists for that. And there are all sorts of things that are going on in our nation right now that we can't agree on. We were talking about a while ago. I mean, Obama pardoned a man who is now a woman who was a traitor to the United States of America and why he was in prison, our government, your tax dollars, prayed for him to have a sex change to become a woman. Now, that sounds like something in bizarre land. That is just beyond my imagination. I can't walk in agreement with that. So if that makes me uh, an extremist, then I'm an extremist. So we're in a situation today as a church where unless, again, unless there's a revival, uh, we walk with God. And we follow God's principles and we look for God's will. And we walk in agreement with God whether our nation does or not. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you that you give us your word and, Lord, you give us these warnings that we can apply not only to our nation but to our own personal lives. Lord, we want to walk in agreement with you. Anything in our lives, Lord, that, that uh, we've deceived ourselves about that are keeping us from a close relationship with you, Lord, just show us so we can get those things out of our life. Help us not but be deceived like Israel was deceived and like our nation is deceived now. Or help us to continue in our walk with you in a, in a hostile land as your pilgrims. And Lord, help us to, to not defile your name. 
Help us to be separated unto you in a way, Lord, that, that we truly do witness your, the, the power of your grace, the power of, of salvation, the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, we can only do that through your spirit. And I just ask that you bless us all with a foot filling of your Holy Spirit in these very dark days. Lord, we pray for the new president of the United States. Lord, he's going he's gonna to catch the left's wrath from day one till he's out of there. Lord, give him the strength to, to, to continue to, to, to uh, appoint uh, men of character, women of character, and Lord, to maybe turn this ship around. But Lord, we know it's going to be difficult, and we ask for your grace on our nation in these coming years and these coming days. We just ask all of that in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.